0: take motorcycle trips for many reasons. Exploring new places, meeting new people, attending events, sometimes self-discovery. Now we've all heard that saying, you never see a motorcycle parked outside of a psychiatrist's office. I don't know if it's true or not, but I do know that riding replenishes and invigorates me. So maybe it's true. Liz Jansen set out on a motorcycle trip, a kind of self-discovery. She prepped to be on the road for a good while, but just three weeks into it, she had a crash. And the next two years were spent recuperating from her injuries. And you're going to hear in in this story today a weird twist that extended her recovery time. It's pretty bizarre. But even with the major setbacks, Liz got back on her motorcycle two years later and continued her journey. Her idea was to get a deeper understanding of who she is by exploring her family history. So her ride was to all the places that she could find that her ancestors had been, had lived looking for answers to questions about her life through where she came from and why she was brought up the way she was to get a deeper understanding of who she really is. When she came back, she wrote a book. It's called Crash Landing, The Long Road Home. It's a book about discovery, recovery, healing. It's a book about life and family history and how our family history, our ancestors can shape us without us even realizing it she uses the motorcycle as transportation but in the end it's so much more i'm jim martin this is adventure rider radio stay with us we got a good one for you
1: It didn't start out to be crash landing when i was in 2014 i set out on a quest on my motorcycle a solo journey i was going to go and find out uh, about myself who i was before my culture shaped me and i crashed during that journey and so it became the title became crash landing but really it was looking at the experiences of of my ancestors, how they'd shaped me, and my own experiences, uh, the culture that I grew up in, and really it's those crashes that we all have, which aren't necessarily on a motorcycle, that, um, that call on our strengths, and that's really, uh, really determines who we are and how we, how we express ourselves in the world.
0: Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. They've got 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. You can also sign up for their e-rider newsletter. It's free at www.maxbmw.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any bag into motorcycle luggage using a unique strapping system that's easy to use and switch from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. And that has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com No. No. I'm sure. Johnson. You get paid off King. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, EZR Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty, and Best Rest is also the North American distributor for Googletech filters. Visit them online at www.cyclepump.com. That's (laughs) cyclepump.com. The Motobreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad mounted on your swing arm, eliminating the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprocket. One ounce of oil lasts over 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprocket and forget about the messy spray oil. www.motobreeze.com. Two eyes in there. www.motobreeze.com. August 27, 2014, Liz Jansen stood beside her motorcycle in a ditch, feeling disorientated. She looked down. The bike was twisted and broken. She describes the headlight hanging from the wires like intestines. It was over. Her trip. It wasn't just that the bike was broken, Liz needed to get to a hospital. She'd crashed on a back road in Alberta, just a short time into what was supposed to be a fairly long trip. Before she left, she sold her car, moved out of her home. She readied the way we do for an extended motorcycle adventure that would have probably seen her into South America. But in a moment, that playing field was upended. And, you know, it's how we react in those moments, how we choose to see those events and what we choose to do about it that directs our future and helps determine our destiny. You ready to go? I'm ready. Liz, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio.
1: Thanks, Jim. It's great to be here.
0: You're not a new rider. You've been riding since, what, 16?
1: Since I was age 16, yes. That's quite a while ago.
0: Why did you get a a motorcycle? What's the interest in, in motorcycling at 16?
1: At 16, it wasn't something that I really chose It was something that my brothers, who were younger than I was, chose. They got a a motorcycle little Honda Cub to ride around on the family farm. Don't ask me how I ever got to ride it, but I did. Somehow I did, and I've been riding pretty much ever since.
0: When you were 16 years old riding that that Honda Cub around the farm, you were growing up as a Mennonite. What what was your life like? How was it different than anyone else who grew up in, in rural southern Ontario farmland?
1: It probably wasn't much different at all. It really was the church that I belonged to. It, it was the the culture that I came from. So we had different traditions. and um, and that was that was probably different. And a probably a, um, a stricter way of life and more fundamentalist way of looking at things. But other than that, I went to public school. I was one of the kids. I rode a motorcycle. You you know, I dressed like everybody else. My dad, my, my parents, they were in the community. You really couldn't tell. We just went to a different church and we came from a different background. So I didn't dress any different.
0: What is a Mennonite or how would you describe it?
1: That's a complex question. Everybody conjures up something. There's an image people have when you say a Mennonite and there are so many different kinds of Mennonites. Essentially, they all come out of the Reformation in Europe, the, the Protestant Reformation, but they branched out. So there's many different uh, many different strains. We tend to think of old order Mennonites or uh, people that are a an horse and buggy, but there's many different modern... There's Mennonites all over the world in all different countries, but so... There's a lot of different strains of Mennonites. I'm not answering your question directly because there's so many different answers. Um, there's also um, some, and, and this has been a discussion for time eternal amongst Mennonites: is is it a culture? Is it a religion? Is you know what is what does it mean to be a Mennonite? And originally, it, it was all tied together, so it, it was tied in with with the um, with the religion. And it was it was the culture that developed. But really, there's there's lots of different Mennonites now who don't follow that same culture, who not who are not born um, out of that, out of those communities or out of that tradition.
0: When I think of a Mennonite, I think of just that where you see people going down the road dressed in black, uh, black and white, I guess, um, with a horse and a buggy heading into town and sort of, um, you know, um, I guess, burying their head in the sand, I guess, as far as modern uh, advances with technology and et cetera. That's sort of what I picture automatically. And and I know it's a very simplified look at at what a Mennonite would be, but that's sort of what I picture.
1: That's what most people, that's what most people picture. There's no question that it's uh, very... It's a it's a Protestant religion. It's a different it's a Christian religion. It's following that way of of life, of a tradition. Um, and th- there's also uh, language there. There was language there is not not so much now, but from, you know, when my grandparents and, and their grandparents before them for hundreds of years, they were they spoke German and they had an identity because they came from the area that is now Germany, um, and they spoke that language was something that tied them to their culture. And they even developed their own way, own language, which was kind of a slang that's Low German or Plotich. and they had words and ways of communicating with that. So the language was very much tied in to who they were and the culture, what they ate, how they behaved. They lived in colonies. Uh, They didn't, it's not a commune, it was colonies, though, and that that was done for a very specific reason, uh, because the countries that they lived in had invited them, and they wanted them to farm and to develop land that was what they called untamed, and they were looking to develop these lands. And they didn't want the Mennonites proselytizing, so they didn't want them converting the people that were around them. And so they were pretty happy to keep them contained in their colonies. And they developed. They were quite economically prosperous. They, they had schools, hospitals. Um, they, they contributed a lot to the economy. But it kept them in a, a kind of a closed culture that has really since uh, from the Mennonites that I descended from, that's really become quite diverse and, and it's it's quite modern. It's not, you know, Mennonites of the kind of the of the strain that I was born into do not live in colonies. They don't live in, um, you know, they, they, you can't tell anyone from another one. You can tell if they call themselves a Mennonite or if they go to church, but they're not necessarily descended from that culture.
0: Where was motorcycling for you from, from 16 on up?
1: Motorcycling has always been my muse. It's been my way to feel that freedom that we all feel, but also inspire me and call on my strengths. And just when I'm on my motorcycle, then I'm who I am. And it's just something I do. It's really not. I've never really done it for any reason other than that. It's just been something I do, but it just feels so good.
0: What did you do for those middle years of life? I mean, you know, 16, becoming an adult and heading in to find a career, your place in the world.
1: Yeah, I talk about that in Crash Landing because that religion that so tied people, the Mennonites together, was something from a young age that I had a real problem with. I couldn't understand it. It didn't make sense to me. And it was very much fear-based because it was always doing something um, and you had, to, you had to believe because if you didn't, the consequences were very dire and you would be in hell forever. And so you always had to really, and this is my understanding of it. And so you really had to watch what you were doing and, and, and like I said, believe and, and do all of these things. And it didn't make sense to me that a god— who was so kind and caring and compassionate would turn you away when you died, or you could die because you did something wrong, that would be your punishment. Or that there was always these stories about the second coming that was imminent. And it was like, you better always make sure that your slate is clean because you never know when that moment is gonna be, and you wanna be taken into heaven. And so that strikes fear in the heart of a child. And you don't understand that. And so that, that definitely lived in me. I remember finding some old coloring books uh, that I had drawn pictures in and written some words in, something that I had done in a, as an assignment. And when my parents moved, and it was something I'd probably done when I was seven or eight years old. And there was these images of the second coming and burning in a fire in an oven a uh, furnace and those kinds of things. So that was with me at at that young age when you're supposed to be a child and carefree, and and that wasn't really what the message of the you know that that was how it came through to me. But that really wasn't the message. That's not the message that I think they wanted to deliver. And and for you know my parents and my grandparents, that was something that worked for them. It just did not work for me. And so I moved away from that. And there was also a sense of, well, there's no point in me trying to control or trying to do anything or control because the end is near. Everything's going to be wiped out anyways. I'm going to be wiped out. So why would I even bother trying? Um, I'm just going to, I'm just going to like lay back and do something, but I'm really not going to push myself because what's the point? not gonna there's not gonna be a world anyways
0: Mm. the the pictures you said that are those those pictures you drew the oven and the burning the yes 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 i did
1: it by yeah they're brick yeah i i said a coloring book but it was pictures that i had drawn and colored in and so it was a bible alphabet and um, so each letter was for different things so you know um, c was for the coming of the enemies and Different different things like that. Yeah.
0: Was that picture, though, be, what, your representation of you because of something you felt inside you did or didn't do? Or is that just... I don't know.
1: It was. Yeah, I don't... I, it was, well, the little girl in the oven had red hair. So, um, yeah, I guess it was hair. me. Yeah, I do.
0: <laughs> what kind of things um, do, could you do wrong to run into trouble with a religion?
1: Well, not believe, really. Ask questions, doubt.
0: Ask questions. That was
1: big. Yeah, ask questions. Don't question what you're taught.
0: So you rebelled against this then?
1: Yes. I wouldn't say I overtly rebelled. It was more of a passive thing. And I also want to point out that this was... um, you know, almost 60 years ago. I don't want to make any comparisons because I don't go to church, to Mennonite churches. So I can't compare to the teachings of today because the churches have evolved and they're a lot more modern and they're a lot more progressive. So this was my experience growing up.
0: You ended up becoming a nurse.
1: I did because that's what my mom was. And, you know, we I, I had some interest in it, but... Um, even from the start, I mean, it was just wasn't something I enjoyed. I, I, I enjoyed it at the time, but it wasn't my calling. It wasn't my gifts, but I wasn't tapping into myself. What I, I say in the book at that time, because I feel like, I felt like I couldn't really, eh, there was no point in doing anything. So I just went to sleep. I had these layers of protection around me because I still carried this fear. And I, I, I just... Was afraid of pushing my limits or pushing my boundaries or doing anything, and so I just went to sleep, and that was it for thirty years. I didn't wake up.
0: Because your your book, Crash Landing, that, that sort of comes um, at a time, I guess, uh, sort of a, a ways after you had you made a big change. You went through a divorce, and and you um, ended up dumping your career, didn't you? I mean, I, maybe that's the wrong way to say it. But I you, did. You let it go. <laughs>
1: I did. I walked away from it. That was the beginning of the end of that 30-year time I, that I was talking about where I, I said that uh, I woke up because I had evolved into these roles because I had taken a very passive, I was doing well um, and everything looked perfect. It looked like a beautiful life from the outside, but I felt empty. I was like a shell and I had evolved into roles that didn't work for me in both my marriage and in my career. And so I knew that I had to do something about it. I did not want to spend the rest of my life like that. I wanted to do something um, that was much more meaningful than what I was doing. And when I say meaningful, I mean using my ability and my skills. The work that I was doing was very meaningful, but it just was not for me. And so I had to make those choices. I had, to, I had to leave those things because what I was going to do wasn't in those roles, either one of them.
0: What happens to make a change like that? I mean, do you sit in a coffee shop one day and see a, a cat rescued from a tree across the way and all of a sudden it changes your life? Or, or do you just <laughs> you know, wake up or, or maybe it sees over months and years where you think uh, finally I, you get to a point you can't take it. I mean, what, what's, the, what's the breaking point? What's the straw that breaks the camel's back, so to speak, and, and is the turning point?
1: It's a culmination of events. And for me, it was a culmination. I suppose you could have an epiphany, but for me, it was a culmination over years. And I kept getting these nudges, if you will, or I kept insights. It's like, you know, and I was restless. I was restless. And so the, the one thing that um, there was two things, one for the my relationship and one for my career that really stand out for me. And the one about my relationship was I was we had this beautiful post and beam house and we lived out in the country and it was it was gorgeous. And I was lying on the sofa, probably reading or doing something one Sunday afternoon, I think. And I was looking up at these beams and I had held on to that house because it was like a dream home. And I looked up at these beams and I'm looking at the house and I'm thinking, do I really think this is the only place on God's earth that I could be happy in this house, in this relationship? And the answer was absolutely not. And so that was one thing that triggered you know and i realized i pretty much thought at that time i'm going to have to leave this i'm going to have to leave this relationship because it's just not happening it's just not going and and we were going for it we had been going for counseling on and off for a, a number of years but what triggered that i don't know but it was just something that came to me when i was looking up at those beams the thing that really triggered my Uh, decision about, well, and even then about, this was about religion, I guess, not really the career, but um, we were traveling. We traveled a lot all over the world, not over, not on motorcycles, but other travel. We were in Xi'an at the Terracotta Warriors and looking at them. And I'm thinking this this was planted. These things were created. There are thousands of them, and they're all individual faces, but they were done, created to protect the emperor in the afterlife. And I'm thinking for thousands of years, people have been afraid of the afterlife. This is nothing new. This is not a Mennonite story. This is something that is pervasive, and then it's it's something that controls you, but it's, it's nothing new. So, why not focus on this life and what we're here to do and making the most of it, and let the afterlife take care of itself? So I thought that. Uh, there was another thing that sort of correlated with that was a book that my mom had given me for Christmas, and it was a, a Mennonite history about the, the history of my grandparents. and it, this was in Russia and the the colonies that they lived in. But they were there was somebody that was talking about a church service, and it was the same fire and brimstone. Message that I was hearing, and I'm thinking they were saying the second coming was imminent a hundred years ago, and we're still here, so I'm just going to set that aside. And I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, it's not qu- quite that easy when it's so deeply ingrained in you, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna live my life, I'm gonna start to do that now. Again, it wasn't something like a switch where you turn it on and off, but I knew that that's when I realized that those roles that I were in. They were sapping the life out of me. They really were, and I was losing my energy. And I really, I, I weighed about thirty pounds, forty pounds more than I weigh now. I mean, I just was building up layers of physically and emotionally and all those things around me to protect myself. And I needed to get rid of those so I could, I could do what I was meant to do, use my gifts. So, yeah, it was gradual. It wasn't. It wasn't uh, an epiphany. And then once, I, I and I knew that. I would have to change both of them because that was my whole life, both of those things, right? Um, I had the same thing that had caused me to uh, be in that in that relationship had also been behind my choices in career. So it was a, a thing that um, I had to correct. Quite
0: a scary move because, you know, I think this with everyone, most people fear of what they don't know. They fear change. And when you, like you said, you've got a home and you've got a, a career and you sort of got your life, you can coast on through if you want to walk away from it all at what age, you know, that that's a big deal.
1: Mm-hmm. I was uh, all around, it was just before I was turned 50. It is a big deal. And so many people said, wow, you're brave. Um, just like they say, when you ride a motorcycle, right? <laughs> and they said, wow, you're brave. Uh, you're courageous. Why, you know, why are you doing this? And I didn't look at that way at all. It didn't, it it took some some doing to do that, but to stay in those roles, it would have just, it would have, it would have drained me. And I couldn't do that. So it would have been harder to stay in those roles because I was restless. I was already trying to push through. And so it was easier to do that and to start over again. And I don't think I don't know that it would have taken courage to stay, but it would have been harder to stay than to to not stay.
0: So you spent some some years after that rolling yourself into motorcycling more.
1: I did. I sure did. After I left, uh, I left my marriage in December of 2002 and then the career came in um, August of 2003 and so then I had a couple months so what better to do that was my start of long distance solo solo traveling and so I went for for two months around uh, Canada and the United States thinking about what I was going to do next and looking for you know just trying to sort of breathe and get ready to start again.
0: What did you find in that trip?
1: Well, it was just it was it was so freeing. It was so liberating. I was three days into the trip and I just felt like I had a weight come off my shoulders. It was it was so great, and I didn't know what I was going to do. So I'm 50 years old or around 50, and uh, not quite 50. I guess I was 49, and I have no job, no career, no home, no anything, um, no prospects. I'm not looking for anything, and I feel better than I felt ever in my life, and. So I was looking for answers, too, about what I should do next and what I'd been working with an executive coach, too. So that was helping me and identifying what I thought my strengths were, because all of these things are buried when you're not using them. And when you're trying to do what you think you should be doing or what you other what you think other people think you should be doing. They get buried pretty deep. And so to unearth those takes some time and some self. Exploration and trying to find those, and also some experimentation. So I decided, or I I came up with this epiphany. Um, that was an epiphany, actually. It wasn't. Again, I had been thinking about what do I do next, and I was with some friends in California. At uh, we were out for dinner. And it was my last night with them, and people at the next table struck up a conversation and turned to me being out there on my by myself on a motorcycle, and It's like no big deal. It's not any, you know, I'm riding on the roads. I'm traveling across Canada and the United States and people will say, oh my goodness, like it's, how are you going to get all that, do all that, that distance and go so far? It's like, you just get on your bike and you go. It's like riding any day and the next day you just do it again and do it again. Next thing you're at the Pacific and you turn left and go down to California. But so for me, it wasn't anything extraordinary. And I said to them, people have said to me, oh, they keep saying this to me, even on my trip, that you're so brave, you're so courageous. And so the woman said to me, if people are telling you that, you should be listening. And that was an aha moment because it wasn't that I saw myself as being, as taking a lot of strength to do that. Other people saw that. And so I thought maybe what I should be doing is that's one of the things that would fit into what I wanted to do. I, I love training. I loved facilitating those experiences. And maybe what I could do is facilitate that experience for others. Maybe they want to know how to get through obstacles that they seem are formidable in life. It doesn't have to be a motorcycle, but whatever it is, there's a way to get through it and a way to get to the other side of that. So what I can do when I go back and motorcycling is a a tool. It's a medicine, if you will, for me. It's something that I use in my work. It's something that that helps me in my work. So I can use motorcycling to create and facilitate that experience. And so I started out doing motorcycle tours in Ontario, and I did that for a few years. But what I really wanted to do was to facilitate the experience that comes when you push your comfort zone. That's what I really wanted to draw um, draw out from others as well. And that was what I thought that would be a great way for me to utilize my gifts. And so that's what I did. And I I started with tours and it, it morphed into other things and including workshops, seminars, speaking, and then writing eventually. And that's when I wrote also Women, Motorcycles on the Road to Empowerment, again, talking about what happens. It's great to to say to yourself or, you know, to have others say it's, I feel free. I feel courageous. I'm confident. All these things when I'm riding my motorcycle, those are all true. But what do you do with that? That's a big question.
0: We're going to take a short one-minute break to thank a sponsor that helped bring this episode to us today. But when we come back, we're going to jump right into the crash, the day of the crash, and go from there. I have a story I want to tell you in this minute break. Stay with us. A few days ago, I took the IMS Rally foot pegs off my bike. And I replaced them with the IMS Core Enduro foot peg, which is very, very similar, just a, a little bit smaller Foot peg So it doesn't stick out as far. So it doesn't, for in my case, when I get into real technical stuff, doesn't catch as many rocks on the side. You lose a little leverage with it, but it still has the, the same design. But what I noticed was when I was taking it off, I was thinking about the teeth here. And I thought, oh, yeah, I forgot that, you know, I, I expected this to take a heavy toll on my boots because the teeth are, they're not sharp, but they're pointed, you know, so they're, they get a good grip. My boots do not move on these foot pegs. They're very, very dependable. But I flipped my boots over to have a look and they're hardly chewed up at all. I mean, there's I expected them to be heavily damaged. There's really no serious damage on them at all. And it turns out what it is, is it's the design of the teeth on the foot peg. The teeth are all set up in a double tooth design. They put two teeth side by side and they're slightly rounded off. So side by side, they give good traction, they dig into the soft sole of your boot to hold you in place, but they actually aren't enough to tear your boot apart. Great for those of us who are riding adventure bikes, because a lot of times you'd be riding in shoes that you may not want to ruin if you're riding on the street, for instance, and and not planning to go off-road. So, uh, and of course, their their ADV1 and ADV2 pegs are even a softer tooth design, they're more rounded than this one here, but I was was really impressed because it's a simple thing like that, well, simple in hindsight, I guess, that protects your boots gives you ultimate traction and they're still made with their patented design for shedding mud you need to check out these foot pegs i absolutely love them www.imsproducts.com and of course anytime you're dealing with them email phone whatever it is make sure please tell them you heard them here on adventure rider radio and again now i'm riding with the ims core enduro's the day of the the big crash, you found yourself on a gravel road. Uh, You rode along. I think you were feeling uneasy about it to begin with. You gained speed and you came up to a corner and then everything changed. But how did you find yourself there that day? How, How did you get there?
1: I was on what I thought was 12 to 18 months on the road. I was looking for the answers to who I was and how my culture had influenced me. I couldn't put myself in my grandparents' shoes. I could never. They were refugees. They were penniless. They went through civil war. They had a horrendous, they went through horrendous times. I I can't, I can't fathom that from my perspective. I did think though, that if I visited the lands that they lived on, that when they first came here and tried to put myself in their shoes as best I could, that I might understand better why I was taught the way I was, why they believed as they did. And so I was in Western Canada and this was in Southern Alberta and I was near the place where my dad spent much of his boyhood. I also had a belief that we also carry the energy of the land where we've lived, where our ancestors have lived. I don't understand that. That, And I, I thought the best people to explain that would be the indigenous people of the land, because I really wanted to learn also more about the earth spirituality, those beliefs about how we live in harmony with the land, and just understanding, understanding our role in nature. And those two things came together so looking at my ancestors looking at the the land and wanting to find out from indigenous people so that particular day was my last day i was in i was east of calgary it was my last day before going for, heading further south and i was going to a place called blackfoot crossing because the blackfoot people were the ones who were the, the stewards who lived on that land for however long before Uh, Europeans ever came along and so I wanted to go to that place and try and understand more and see where I could find more people to talk to the place I crashed was right on the border of where near where my near where my dad had uh, his his parents had farmed it wasn't the exact spot but it was very close but it was definitely on the border of the Blackfoot reservation and I was obviously not ready to go into that exploration yet I wasn't personally ready and so I didn't get there, not for many years.
0: This was a bad crash. Um, you had the crash and ended up coming back home to Ontario, but you didn't even have a home mm-hmm. to come to, did you?
1: Well, no, I thought I'd be on the road for a long time. So I gave up my home, my car, My be what you do when you go, when you think you're going on those long trips, because I wasn't going to be needing them. I didn't even know if I'd come back here. Maybe something would strike my fancy along the way. I wanted to be open to whatever the road delivered to me along this journey that I was going on. I didn't know it was going to deliver me to a ditch in Alberta three weeks later.
0: It seems like such a short period of time in the into your your trip for spiritual discovery, you know, discovering who you are before you're convalescing, you're trying to get over the, this accident. <laughs> How did you feel about it at that point?
1: The dust hadn't even settled. Fortunately, I when I crashed, I I really injured my shattered my shoulder and that was the major injury that I had, but I was conscious. I my motorcycle was totaled. I was alert the whole time, at least as far as I know. And so when we stopped in the ditch, uh, we being my motorcycle and me, I jumped up immediately. And I knew, I knew right away that I wasn't going to South America. And this was part of my journey. I had this knowing right there that my trip would continue, but not in the format that I expected it. So it wasn't i wasn't angry i wasn't upset it was like okay things have changed i've got some new things to deal with and somehow this is going to be part of my this is part of my journey i have to figure that out
0: that is a very good uh, perspective for something because it's easy and automatic really for most to, to get down on something like that the moment it happens
1: i didn't feel that way and i don't know why even Right at the beginning, good things started happening. People, you know, I, some, uh, somebody came by and took me to the hospital. P- I mean, people were so helpful. There was those kinds of things. And people that I met that furthered my journey. And when I, I got back home, the same thing. And I just knew, I guess it was because I had this knowing that I wasn't ready to do it on my motorcycle yet. I had to spend time in quiet, in stillness, recovering and healing in all these ways. It wasn't easy, though. That was hard. That was hard. That was a hard time of my life when I was recovering, and it, was, and it hurt, and I didn't know how I was going to recover. I didn't know how I was going to, uh, you know, what work I was going to do or any how long I'd be laid up I, or would I go back. All those things were questions, but I knew that my primary focus at that time had to be in healing myself physically, and in other ways as well.
0: And was the plan to continue your trip? Were you thinking that okay, I, I have to recover. I'm going to work on my physical recovery and also spiritual, and then get back on the bike.
1: No. When after I crashed, I knew that every everything was up for grabs. Nothing. I couldn't. I couldn't predict anything after that. I couldn't even plan for anything. I still knew that what I wanted to do and knew that that was part of my, you know, my journey, what I needed to do. And I had also planned right from the beginning that I was going to be writing about this.
0: Was the bike considered on the chopping block at this point? Maybe that's the end.
1: It was gone. No,
0: I mean the, the, the idea of riding. Oh, for
1: me. Oh no, 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 never. I knew also just like I knew that it was part of my journey. I knew I'd ride again. I wasn't even, yeah, that wasn't even a question
0: a real twist in this story is that just at the point you are getting, you were recovering from this motorcycle accident. That wasn't the end for you as far as lessons delivered to you.
1: No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um,
0: So, so what start with the, the day. I I, I think you walked out of the house give (laughs) give us an idea of what happens here.
1: So I'm walking everywhere. It's winter. Uh, It was the end of March and I'm getting ready now to think, I am think I'm ready to get, you know, it's, I, I need a motorcycle for this season. I didn't have a car and I had moved into town, which I had never lived in a town before. And so I am thinking it's time to get a motorcycle again. So I was, um, on just an errand, I'd walked to get my exercise. I walked a couple of miles to a store and I was coming back and I, there was a grocery store just across the road from us. And I thought, I'm just going to go over there and get some almonds, uh, across from me, I should say. And I'm going to go over there and get some almonds. And so I took a shortcut and, You know, my whole crash was a shortcut too. I didn't, that road was not part of what I had planned. I guess I didn't mention that before, but a bridge was out, I couldn't cross. And so I had to take away a different way than I was, you know, I was determined to get to my destination, but I had to go a different way. Here again, I was taking a shortcut to get to the store and it was down a bit of a slope and it wasn't icy, but it was wet and the grass was a bit wet. And so I'm walking down this slope and I... slipped and twisted my ankle and bro I heard it snap and my ankle was broken and I, I said you've got to be kidding me like I've just been through all of this on my motorcycle and I'm getting better I'm getting ready to get back on the road and <laughs> really I've got a i know I've got a broken ankle my foot was just dangling and I heard it break so again I thought well i I mean it's happened I can't change that I have to I have to deal with this now. And I actually ended up in a wheelchair after that because my shoulder couldn't support me on crutches. And I couldn't walk. So I I was in a wheelchair for a while. And I lived, the apartment that I had was in the top of a a second floor walk-up, up up a curved staircase above a, a, a hair salon. And that's where I was living. So it's not really very... Wheelchair friendly, shall we say, or even to get up, uh, you know, anyway with a broken ankle. And I had to have surgery. So I already had my arm pinned together. And now I have my leg, my ankle pinned together after that.
0: There's so many things you can read into this, Liz. I mean, you know, oh, I know. <laughs> the shortcuts, the, the, the piling of things up. I mean, even the fact that you have an apartment with all the stairs and, and now you're in a wheelchair. I mean, you could be forgiven for getting very frustrated at this point and saying, come on, what's going on? Well,
1: here? I'll tell you, I did say, come on, what's going on here? And my frustration was not... At the things that were happening to me, but it was like, what am I not seeing? What am I missing? What I'm trying to get going and I keep getting set back on my ass again. Literally, when I fell, when I broke my ankle, I was sitting on that mud. It's like, what am I not seeing that I'm supposed to be seeing or I'm not ready to go? So that really made me tentative, even when it was time to go again. It's like, oh, am I, because some other things happened too, you know, a couple of illnesses and things. It's like, you think you're going, getting ready. It's like, no, it's not time yet. It's like, well, how am I going to know when it is time? And that played with me. And so when I did go back and I, I, I went in 2016 and I followed what I called the ancestor trail. I'll tell you, I kissed the ground when I got back because I was in one piece and my motorcycle was in one piece. I had a feeling. And, and even before I crashed, I was so confident that this was the right thing for me to do. So I was bewildered at the chain of events that happened that stopped me from doing what I thought I was supposed to do.
0: Do you believe that these, any sort of events in our lives are sort of delivered to you as a message, as a, as a lesson, or do you think it's just sort of happenstance, you're in the right place at the wrong time or vice versa?
1: I think you can pull lessons from it. I don't think they're necessarily delivered as a lesson, but I think things happen. I don't know why they happen. I I really don't understand that, but they do happen and it's what you do with yourself. Uh, And how you handle that afterwards, I could have, I could have cried. I thought of that. I thought of crying, but then I thought, what's the point? I've done, this has happened to me now. I need to move on. I need to look after myself. I need to move forward. And so it's what you do at that time. It's not easy because it can feel pretty dark. And I had an overwhelming feeling of blindness. Like I couldn't see where I was going. I didn't know what I was, you know, what, what was happening, uh, or or what I should do, I. But there was nothing else I could do about it, and I had to keep pushing through those things. I knew that.
0: It's very easy to to get negative when things like that go wrong, in particular when you have them line up, but it's back to that thing we were talking about right at the start was you know it's it's not so much what happens to you it's what you do with it you know how you react to it although that's really hard <laughs> to keep in mind in the moment certainly if you can it, it puts things in a different perspective because I think as humans we just generally string things together we, we often do it with coincidences we talk about coincidences which you could say these series of events were coincidences and it's easy to put a thread through one and string it to the next and string it to the next and say all these have a, a greater meaning rather than maybe these things just happen to happen and what can I pull from it instead? Because one way I think you're sort of sewn in and the other way you're free to get something that um, maybe wasn't there.
1: And don't forget, I was looking at how the experiences of my ancestors lived in me. And so I was looking, I was researching my culture. I was researching my ancestors. I was doing all of these things at the same time. And my ancestors crashed many times. They they had the experiences in Russia. Then they came here as refugees. They, they stopped and started many times. They lost their land. They lost, you know, through, again, no really, no doing of their own. But how did they handle those things? That's what I wanted to see. And how did those strengths live in me? They got through them. And those things were far more onerous than what I was going through. So that helped sustain me through those times because it's really what I was looking for. It was like, what can I learn from my ancestors about how they dealt with hardship?
0: You ended up back on the bike again. And I think as anyone who knows you at all will know that you'll probably always end up back on the bike again. I hope um, so. you mentioned, you know, you're you're looking at your history and the history of your family. How do you think that affects you, you know, with your great-grandparents, for instance, what they go through? Do you think that's something that's passed through in the genes or in the teachings? Um, how does it end up affecting you generations down?
1: I think it's passed through in, in an energetic DNA. It It lives in us somehow. And it, you know, those experiences, they're in our subconscious. We don't even know they're there, but they influence our choices, our beliefs, how we make decisions, all of those things, our worldview. And there's stories around all of those things and they carry emotional charges. And that's really what shapes us. But if we can look back and understand how the stories came to be, and if we can understand how they were and perhaps Write a different story for ourselves from those things. So my grandparents, you know, they had lots of strengths too. But the reasons they did things were in a different time than the times I was living in. Yet they still had the 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 strengths of resilience and flexibility. And um, you know, they were very very strong in their in their beliefs, and stoic. Those things can be both. uh, a good, you know, those things can help you, but those things can also get in your way. And so, looking at those things, not trying to change them, but to understand them and then be able to incorporate that into my life, that's really what I was trying to do. So, yeah, I, I mean, obviously those uh, that's just an energetic we hear about we hear about that as generational trauma. I'm not saying that I had generational trauma, but we hear that term used. And that's not I don't I'm not saying that I had intergenerational trauma. It's, that's not the case at all. But we hear that term and referring to how those experiences are passed down in our energy from one generation to the next and how they live in our subconscious without us even being aware of them.
0: And I think even if you, if you weren't, you know, if you, your belief wasn't that things are, are passed down through any sort of energy, even if you thought about it from uh, just an evolutionary perspective, you know, when you live with someone, you tend to pick up some of their traits. So it, it makes perfect sense that some of the traits, some of the thought processes, some of the ideas from great grandparents would be filtered down through, however diluted when they get to you. Some of those had to originate way back when.
1: That's right. And they originated for different reasons than things that would apply to my life. So you accept them, right? You accept that you do things a certain way, but times change. And so you don't need to do things that way anymore. Those things help them survive um, the beliefs that they had and the way they were. They helped them survive. But they, those same beliefs that helped them survive almost stifled me. So that's what I was looking for.
0: How do you understand what they went through and, and sort of apply it in your life, or apply any sort of lessons from it? That's a big
1: question. That, that's a big question. <laughs> it is a big question. But understanding them, getting reconnected with my culture, um, and extended family is you know looking at looking at what worked for them, and really, it's it's being so grateful for how they, you know, how they lived their life and the values they had and the beliefs and, and how they stood up for what they believed was right and how they were able to overcome hardships. Those things are all in me. And so those were, you know, those were the things that I was grateful for.
0: As I mentioned, you, you got back on the road. You continued your journey, but did it change at this point? I mean, you had your your, t- your whole time of recovering and, and, of course, recovering again after the ankle. Did the purpose of your trip change from that first outing where you ended up on that gravel road, in the ditch, crashed, to now heading back out on the road again to do the same thing, to, to follow your roots and try and find something uh, out about your ancestors through your motorcycle experience?
1: The first time I had was planning to spend a little bit of time looking at my where my ancestors had lived. And Benedicts have great archives and history and records. So that whole culture is, is very well documented. So I thought, you know what, I can find out stuff that I need from books, from talking to maybe my aunts and uncles, and those kinds of things. But I really want to focus on the energy of the land and this indigenous. I was also at the same time studying energy medicine based on uh, teachings from Peru, from shamans of Peru. And so I thought this is where I'm focusing. But what I learned through my uh, through my two years and through some other experiences that happened was I really needed to go back to my own roots and find out um, what was there. So the second time I went, I focused con- exclusively on, not exclusively, but mainly on where my grandparents had lived. I was only going to go the first time to that place in Southern Alberta, but this time I went to um, every place that I could think of that I knew where they, where they had been. And that's what I focused on. So that took me to Northern Saskatchewan, Northern Alberta, different places in Alberta and um, I guess that was the, the province that where I had uh, the most because they had moved around trying to get established. Um, my grandfather, my dad's father actually died when uh, he was 28, two years after he got here. And I had never known him. My dad was only two when he died. And so I really wanted to go and see where he had been and where he lived um, and, and visit his grave. So that wasn't on my, none of that was on my first, uh, my first quest, but that was part of me. That was another thing I realized that I may have distanced myself from my culture, but that still lived in me. It was still part of me. No matter, I can't, I can't not claim that it's in me because it is. That's part of my DNA. And, and the same with my grandfather who I never knew his blood ran through me. And so I really wanted to go and understand that.
0: I think at one point you you were sort of declaring you're not a Mennonite. Um, I did that. And I think you wrote it down in big bold letters, didn't you?
1: I did in my and this was just after my crash. I'm not a Mennonite. And I don't I don't know that I how can I identify as a Mennonite now? I came from that culture but I don't, you know, I don't follow the the religion, uh, but I, I come from that culture. So I, I don't really call myself a Mennonite, but I say I came from a Mennonite culture, um, whatever that is. But I really was not ready to accept that even at the beginning.
0: Crash Landing, The Long Road Home is a great read. And looking back now, after you've done this book and you've, you've, you know your trip and you've understood some things, what's different now?
1: When I wrote Crash Landing... I, I had intended the book was going to be uh, some history of the Mennonites and how that lived in me. Uh, it was never going to be a memoir because who am I to write a memoir? And, but that's how it evolved. When I was working with my editors, they they said, you know, I was already a couple of years into it and it just wasn't coming together. And they said, you've got to make a choice here. You've really got two books. One's a history book, one's a memoir. So choose, which is it going to be? And so I, I chose memoir because I knew that's what the story was, what I was supposed to be writing. And it's really the most open that I've been. I, I've said that I didn't want to be identified as a Mennonite. I hid that from people. But going through that whole experience... Not only did I come to terms with that and come to terms with my background and, and how I was raised, but I also came to terms with who I was and I expressed that openly and authentically. And there's there was no, there's nothing hidden there. It's it's who I am. And when you're when you're taking on rules and trying to be somebody. You're not being yourself and other people don't see you for who you are. In Crash Landing, as I wrote that, and even as I'm beginning to talk uh, at events and different things now, I'm really, people are hearing some, including my family, for the first time that I'm really being open and honest with them. And it's so liberating because it just makes for such better relationships and it makes for much richer life in all ways when you can be yourself.
0: Liz, great to sit down and talk with you once again. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Jim. It's great talking with you, too.
0: Well, the book is called Crash Landing The Long Road Home by Liz Jansen. And that was Liz Jansen from her home in Ontario, Canada. You can get her book from her website www.lizjansen.com. That'll be a signed copy, and you can also get it on Amazon. And of course, those links will be in our show notes. Just want to remind you that this episode was made possible for you today in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com, Green Chili Adventure Gear at www.greenchiliadv.com, and Motobreeze Chain Oilers, www.motobreeze.com. About wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and the first for 2019, a brand new year. We're kicking off, and hey, this year is the year that we're really trying to build up our patron account. So we'd love it if you would consider supporting the show on a regular basis. Like I always say, think about those things that you get on a regular basis that you consume—a coffee, a donut, and all those little things—and and the small amount of money that you pay for them, and then what you get from Adventure Rider Radio, and and sort of think about, is it worth it for you? Is it worth it to help contribute? We certainly need your support for the show. Drop by our website www.adventureriderradio.com Click on the support button. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker for your tank bag or your pannier or your, your side of your motorcycle, wherever you want to put it your toolbox. Um, anything $50 or more gets you a mention on Raw and of course we would love it if you would consider that monthly patron option. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. If it's too snowy well, like I said, back to the shop doing something else. I don't know. Listen to back episodes Anyway thanks very much for listening my name's Jim Martin this is Adventure Rider Radio See you next week Hi this is Janelle Katz aka Moto Gypsy and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. <laughs>